0: Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for uh, your word that you uh, gave to Jeremiah uh, to speak uh, to his time and day. And we're thankful that your word uh, is eternal and therefore it speaks to us in our time and day. Lord, we pray that um, as we study uh, this prophecy both today and the coming weeks. Um, You would uh, convict us of our own sin, uh, show us our need, uh, as Jeremiah so often tells the people to turn, that uh, you would uh, turn our hearts to you, turn us away from our sin, uh, and help us uh, return uh, again and again to the God uh, who we love and who most of all loves us and has given his Son, uh, Jesus Christ, for us. Uh, Teach us today by your Spirit, uh, the same Spirit uh, that spoke to Jeremiah, uh, speak to us uh, and give us insight uh, into your word that we might live according to it. And we ask these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. Uh, so I'm going to read chapter one. Today we're going to uh, do introduction. And so I've given you a handout that kind of gives you an overview of, the, of some of the context and things. But the nice thing about Jeremiah, as we'll see in just a moment, is he gives us the details. Uh, he kind of introduces his own book. What a novel concept. Uh, so we, we have a little, uh, he gives us a little sense of the context and to which he's going to be ministering and the, the context in which these prophecies that we're going to be considering in today and in coming weeks appear. So, uh, hear now the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests, who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up. And to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a bowling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them For all their evil in forsaking me, they have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work, arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak together of it today. So why study the book of Jeremiah? Um, <laughs> might be the question uh, you're asking yourself. Um, so there are a couple of reasons um, i uh, been thinking on about this book, and I think that God laid this book on my heart um, jeremiah is is um, one it 's it 's actually the longest book we we think isaiah's longer because it has more chapters, <laughs> but actually Jeremiah has more words <laughs> um, so it it 's a it 's a long book of prophecy and it 's given in a very particular moment in time and um and I was thinking it's, it's a moment not too dissimilar from our own moment. Um, and I had written a thing about kind of like, you know, why Jeremiah is hopefully, or to me it sounds contemporary, hopefully to you will sound uh, contemporary, and uh, then I rejected what I wrote in favor of what Walter Kaiser wrote um, in his book, Walking the Ancient Paths. Our day shares with Jeremiah's 7th century B.C. times some of the same leading indicators of our need for our word from God. Rampant moral and spiritual decay. More evidence of external religiosity and formal ritualism than a truly heartfelt evidence of the real power and presence of God. Increased apostasy and departure from the revealed doctrines of Scripture increased international conflicts and economic tensions among the nations, and increased evidences of divine judgment and warnings seen in families, the world about us, and our national leaders. So that encapsulates really well what Jeremiah is dealing with, um, and as we'll see when we get to the outline in a little bit, he's speaking in a moment of international tensions or at least international um, for his age, um, but also of, of deep spiritual and moral decay. Um, Jeremiah is also, uh, you might not know, but I've put on your outline, it has a, a word that <laughs> comes from Jeremiah. Um, how about that? Like, you know, to, to have a word <laughs> uh, created to summarize uh, your approach. So, a uh, Jeremiah, uh, according to the Oxford English. Dictionary is a lamentation, a writing, or speech in in a strain of grief or distress, a doleful complaint, a complaining tirade, a lugubrious effusion. Thank you, OED, for that one. Now we have to turn to another page to look up lugubrious and effusion. Um, uh, And then a second uh, definition. Jeremiah is a long literary work, usually in prose but sometimes in verse, in which the author bitterly laments the state of society and its morals in a serious tone of sustained invective and always contains a prophecy of society's imminent downfall. Um, So I think uh, we we could say uh, at certain moments um, in our nation's history, there have been, there's actually a book that, uh, I guess he's dead now, but a Harvard professor, Zach Van Berkovich, Wrote called the American Jeremiah uh, because the Jeremiah became a kind of literary um, uh, form in American history, and it pops up at several moments. So, uh, all that to say is I think we're in a good a good moment where we need a Jeremiah. Uh, we need a Jeremiah. So that's uh, why. So let's start digging into some of the details um, and and. You know, anytime we're looking at a book, we want to ask, you know, the kind of basic who, what, when, where questions. So we'll start with the when. Um, And again, Jeremiah, uh, at the beginning at least, uh, gives us a clear sense of when he's prophesied. And he specifically mentions three kings. Um, So it starts, his prophetic career starts in the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon. Uh, and then it came again, and and Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, uh, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So I've given you kind of on your handout there a timeline that kind of puts these kings and their reigns um, uh, according to years, and then I'm also giving you, if you want to go and look at some of the scriptures that describe these various kings and what their reigns were like. I've given you the references in 2 Kings, and in that final column, um, I've given you just kind of what's happening in world history. Um, So a couple things to say about this. Um, Even though that Jeremiah doesn't um, mention him, hanging over um, Judah at this moment in time is the heavy shadow left by the evil king Manasseh. Um, Manasseh reigned for 55 years, um, and was um, trying to. How can I say this charitably? <laughs> um, uh, he was the tool of the Assyrians. <laughs> um, he he introduced the Assyrian gods. Uh, uh, signs are that he to be an Assyrian um, subordinate you had to worship the Assyrian gods, so he did that personally, and he also put those gods in the very temple uh, of the Lord in Jerusalem. So as you read the description of Manasseh's reign, not only did he himself worship um, other gods, but he brought those gods and and put them in the very temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Um, And if you, you know, in kind of the epitome of, Um, of evil in Manasseh's day. uh, He even um, uh, used child sacrifice uh, in worship. So uh, a very evil king um, who lived a long time. Um, He dies, and Josiah's father, Ammon, also evil, (laughs) but thankfully has a short reign. And when he's eight years old, Josiah becomes king. When he's reigned 13, 13 years, that's when we see Jeremiah saying he's being called. Um, and then five years later, a really important thing happens. So Josiah is a good king. Um, he starts um, repairing the temple that had fallen into, um, into disrepair um, and neglect uh, under the reigns of his fathers. And in the process of cleaning out the temple, the book of the law is discovered. So, and it's this major moment, Hilkiah the priest finds the book of the law in the temple, brings it to to Josiah, Uh, he reads it and responds by tearing his robes. Um, And most people think that that book of the law is found as the book of Deuteronomy, um, a copy of which was supposed to be kept in the king, in the king's palace, or in the king's hands, as well as in the temple. Um, and so clearly, the Book of Deuteronomy had kind of been lost, um, at least lost to uh, influential to, or it's lost its influence on leaders to the extent that Josiah had never heard of it. So it comes as a revelation to him. So he institutes a series of reforms based on the Book of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is really important to to Jeremiah. Um, it Jeremiah. Uh, I think it's 66 direct quotations or allusions to the book of Deuteronomy. So as Jeremiah is presenting to the people the word of the Lord, uh, it's not a complete new word as it always uh, is the case. Um, He's he's building on what the Lord has already said and particularly what the Lord has said in the book of Deuteronomy. And he's using that to build this, this argument against um, Judah, Um, and we we see hints of the message he's gonna bring to Judah uh, in verse 16 of chapter one. For I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Um, Again, that is uh, an important theme in the book of Deuteronomy. Another thing happens um, around the same time that Jeremiah's um, prophetic ministry is beginning, and that's on the world stage. Assyria is in decline, and Babylon is on the rise. Um, And and that transition doesn't happen peacefully. (laughs) Um, It happens with a lot of warfare, um, a lot of alliances made, alliances broken. So Josiah um, rejects his father and grandfather's pro-Assyrian policy and actually wants to help bring about the downfall of Assyria. Egypt, who had been Assyria's old enemy, sees the rise of Babylon as a threat to the existing order. So, you know, it's kind of like two bullies <laughs> who split the playground into their separate halves and a new bully shows up. <laughs> they don't want to give up their half, so the two bullies join together to try to fight off the third bully. So Egypt is on its way to help Assyria um, and Josiah with his anti-Assyrian policy tries to stop them. Um, But at the Battle of Megiddo, um, Josiah, the Egyptians defeat Josiah, Josiah's killed. Um, We have the short reign um, here. Uh, um, Jeremiah doesn't mention him because he only reigned for three months. (laughs) Well, I mentioned somebody only reigned three months. Um, uh, Jeho- Jehoaz um, uh, but then the Egyptians put their puppet uh, on the king so they get rid of Jehoaz and put um, Josiah's son Jehoiakim on the throne um, in view that if we put our guy on the throne he'll continue in a pro-Egypt policy in Judah. Um, so, so Josiah dies, cut short again as part of this uh, rise of the Babylonians. Uh, the Babylonians do defeat the Assyrians, um, and then uh, the Babylonians, as they um, uh, consolidate their power, start to go to the edges again. So they start turning, looking um, to the west, um, looking down that fertile crescent, crescent and and they invade um, uh, Jerusalem, or Judah and Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is actually uh, captured in 597, and that brings Jehoiakim's reign t- to an end. Um, again, uh, a, a successor is, is made. Um, the Babylonians get rid of the successor and appoint their own. Um, so Josiah's um, younger son, Zedekiah, so the Babylonians make him king, hoping he'll pursue a pro-Babylonian policy. He doesn't. Um, Zedekiah leads this uh, rebellion against Babylon that ultimately ends um, in the destruction of the temple that Jeremiah uh, mentions at the end of verse three. Um, So all that kind of gives you the the big arc of the historical context um, of the book of Jeremiah. Any questions about that before we or anything you want to talk about about that before we move on to our next questions? Nope. Okay, I must have done it clearly then. <laughs> so, so this next question isn't just for me talking at you. This next question is a real question. <laughs> so, who's who was Jeremiah? Um, and. Unlike Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah is not mentioned in Kings. So we learn about Isaiah and his ministry from other places in scripture. We only learn about Jeremiah from Jeremiah. Um, so, so what we know, he, he tells us. So in chapter one, what are some of the details that we find out about Jeremiah and who he was? What does he tell us about himself? Okay, he's son of Hilkiah, a priest. So because the high priest um, under Josiah who finds the Book of Law is also named Hilkiah, some people have you know, thought, well, maybe he's the son of the high priest. He doesn't say that. He says he's the son of uh, a priest named Hilkiah from Anathoth, which is a tiny little village um, kind of um, north and east of Jerusalem um, so it's uh i'm sure today it's like a Jerusalem suburb <laughs> um, uh, yeah teresa <laughs> yeah so several things that teresa just just mentioned, um, so that um, uh, the Lord spoke to him. Um, and and this, this prophetic call defines his life. Like, you know, and we can't um, overemphasize the fact that Jeremiah's entire life is dominated by the fact that the Lord, and, and not just from an early age, but as the text says, from before he was even born, when he was in his mother's womb, the Lord was setting him apart, consecrating. I mean, again, that's the the idea, taking something apart, out of common use, and sanctifying it for a holy purpose. So from the womb, Jeremiah has been consecrated, set apart, called by God to be a prophet, and, and some people, you know, youth is kind of, it's not a precise term. <laughs> like, there are, there are other words that uh, um, Jeremiah could have used to describe exactly how old he was. Um, he doesn't, but um, most people guess he, he's probably a, a teenager. Um, some people even think, like, he begins his earthly ministry in the 13th year of Josiah. He might have been even 13 years old. Um, when this this word of the Lord comes to him, and uh, the other thing that Teresa mentioned there, um, as often happens that you know we see it happen with Moses, <laughs> we see it happen with Isaiah. Yeah, I can't do this. <laughs> uh, thank you, but no, thank you. Um, and and the Lord, um, just as we see with 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 Moses and with Isaiah, um, you know, overcomes those objections and and. this anthropomorphic act like look I'm putting my words on your lips so you don't have to worry about your eloquence Uh, you don't have to worry about "Ah, I don't know what I'm going to say God's like I'll take care of that (laughs) you just go (laughs) Um, good so he's defined by being a prophet and I've put a couple of things um, other things that aren't in chapter one um, but you know, we'll get details. Jeremiah's the most personal of all the prophets. We get not only Jeremiah's message, um, but we get what happens to Jeremiah because he preached that message. Um, we get how Jeremiah felt about that message, which uh, often he didn't feel very good <laughs> about being God's prophet. Um, so we get Jeremiah's complaints Um, And we'll have conversations. Some people call them the confessions of Jeremiah. And it's just Jeremiah speaking with God saying, why? (laughs) Why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Um, But you'll note, like, because he's a prophet, um, his his own village plots to take his life, he tells us. He's not allowed to marry. Um, And again, it's not because marriage is bad, but it's a prophetic act. Like, when he reaches the age, everybody expects him to marry. As a prophetic act, God tells him, don't marry, because, you know, judgment's coming, and there's going to be a time when, you know, marriage is going to bring more sorrow than joy. So, you know, with this coming destruction, this coming judgment that God's going to bring, better not to marry. Um, He's not allowed to mourn, um, attend funerals. Why? Why? Because there's gonna come a moment, again, it's a prophetic act, there's coming a moment where death is gonna be so um, ubiquitous and so enormous, there is gonna be no burying of the dead. Like the dead are just gonna like, be so numerous, and the destruction's gonna be so complete, there's nobody left to bury them. So in his lifetime, Jeremiah is not allowed to mourn, nor is he allowed to feast and party. Um, So uh, his entire life is dominated by this fact, as Teresa noted, he's called from the womb to be a prophet. Yeah, Jay. So it's um, so they are contemporaries. Ezekiel, is, but Ezekiel is prophesying already in captivity. So Ezekiel has already been taken into captivity, um, and he's actually like he's got that great vision in Ezekiel where he sees the the you know in this vision God departing from the temple um, because he's while well, this destruction and he's mourning the destruction of. Jerusalem while he's already in captivity, um, Jeremiah is experiencing it. But, but yeah, the, the idea of um, prophetic symbolic action, so prophets don't just say things to get their message across, they do things. And Ezekiel would be another great example. Or as you said, like Hosea marrying a prostitute is also an example. Of that prophetic symbolic action that's supposed to send a message to the people. So, you know, and the intent is, you know, you're doing something completely strange and you want people to say, why? (laughs) And that gives you an opportunity to say, why? Because the Lord told me so for this specific reason. Yeah, Dave? Yeah, so the in the again, the fall of Jerusalem, it's not like a swift fall. Um, Babylon lays siege to Jerusalem for two years and basically starves it out as much as they, you know, defeat it in war, military sense. So um, you, you have not an immediate sense of, of death and destruction, but a long drawn out experience of death and judgment. And, and Jeremiah is there. He's there till the, till the end. Good. Other things uh, you note about Jeremiah in these early chapters? Mm-hmm. Things that stand out to you? Yeah, Patricia. Um, it says in verse 5 um, that God appointed him as a prophet to the nations, which I find really interesting. Yeah, and... Um, uh, if you look um, down uh, on the, to go to the structure, um, there is gonna be a long section of the book that is prophecies um, about the nations. Um, and this is emphasizing you know, God's sovereignty, he's not just the God of Judah, he's the God of all nations. And what he's, what's gonna happen to Judah is serves as a warning to, to everyone, again, even though this is a message being specifically given given to Jeremiah uh, at this moment to preach to Judah, it's a message for, he's he's not a prophet just of Judah, he's a prophet for all nations, and it's part of his call. It's not incidental to his call, it is a direct part of his call to be this one who speaks the words of the Lord um, to far and wide. Good? Anything else that strikes you about or uh, things you note about who Jeremiah is that he tells us? Yeah, Dave. Is this the first uh, prophet? Does that, that this and uh, up and breaking down with other nations and other um, I wouldn't say it's the first one, but I'm glad you, like it's a specific point of his charge. Like so, you know, as you think of, you know, he's being given, see this day, I've set you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. So we've got six, um, uh, you know, six things that are going to characterize four destructive, <laughs> but two constructive. Um, and, and this comes up again, hold on, I've got to move from outline to notes. Um, this same language, uh, shows up um, later on uh, in chapter 31. He uses these same to to uproot, tear down, destroy, bring disaster as well as to build and to plant. Show up in a later prophetic message. That's going to be in a more it, it's, it's at a kind of turning point in the book where it's moving from the heavy emphasis on judgment to the positive. Um, so but that, you know, those verbs there really, you know, he's plucking up, he's breaking down, he's destroying, he's overthrowing. But he's also building um, and planting. Um, and uh, a major word that's going to show up in the book, like you get these things, like from the beginning, like we're already told, you know, in verse three, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month, um, so we're gonna get all his words that he preaches up to that moment, trying to prevent that moment in a sense, trying to get the people to turn. Um, but he tells us from the beginning, beginning Jerusalem's gonna fall, like it, it's, it's gonna be condemned. So all along the way, <laughs> when he's saying turn and live, um, uh, we know they don't listen. Um, it's a real choice that's being given to them, a real opportunity for repentance, um, but but God knows they're, he, He's going to have to bring His judgment. And Jeremiah knows judgment's coming, and he's facing it his entire prophetic ministry. So you can get the sense, like some people, Jeremiah is one of those prophets again because he's the most personal. He gets psychoanalyzed a lot. Um, uh, Jeremiah was depressed. <laughs> well probably if if you know you're speaking the truth and nobody's listening to you and you know judgment's coming you know exactly who's bringing it Nebuchadnezzar um and and you know it's coming soon um and you're warning people and no one's listening to you um there's a great kind of dramatic moment later in the book where um Jeremiah writes his prophecies down, or has Baruch, his kind of assistant, write them down on a scroll. The scroll is presented to the king, who proceeds to read it, and as he reads a section, tears it off and throws it into the fire. Reads a section, tears it off and throws it in the fire, um, and you know, so so some people like, you know, from a, a human standpoint, you know, we're. We might perceive his ministry as failure because he's he goes out he, with this message of repentance and judgment, and nobody listens um, now and we from those same human terms we would say well jesus' earthly ministry was a failure because he died alone um, but we know God uses <laughs> what uh is perceived to be human weakness Uh, that's where God acts the most and and Jeremiah um, God through Jeremiah's suffering and long suffering and his saying the same thing over and over again and that message falling on deaf ears God uses even that Quoted prophet in the or the third most quoted book in the New Testament, so at least by New Testament times, he's being read enough that well, yeah, I mean, again, he's nobody likes him when he's preaching, <laughs> so it, it takes like some time to suddenly uh, appreciate the guy who. Um, wasn't popular in his day, and he's not popular for for a lot of reasons. Like, he's not popular politically. Like, he's preaching a spiritual message, but he's preaching a spiritual message in a political moment. And he's saying, y'all need to bow down to the Babylonians and surrender. Don't resist the Babylonians. He's like, you know, so he's adopting what is perceived as a traitorous pro-Babylonian message. Um, at a moment where you know, the king is trying to raise up, uh, particularly Zedekiah, anti-Babylonian ba- sentiment, and, and Jeremiah is saying the complete opposite. No, we don't want to fight the Babylonians. No, don't try to ally with Egypt to fight the Babylonians. You know, surrender. God has raised up the Babylonians to, to judge you, and resisting them is resisting what God wants you to do, so don't do it. So. It's not just his religious message that's falling on deaf ears. The political implications of that um, uh, religious message are being perceived as treason. Yeah, and especially um, uh, as you know you know prophesying as a young person, um, now. It's it's interesting, um, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the outline, it's a hard book to outline, just to let you know. <laughs> and even though he starts us off with a nice chronology of his career, that is not how he organizes the book. <laughs> the The prophecies are not in any kind of chronological order. Um, uh, especially when we get to this, the first half has like no dates. like So we're getting prophecy after prophecy and we have, like, we can speculate, well, that kinda sounds like maybe this is accompanying Josiah's reform, so maybe it's an early one when Josiah's king. We don't know, because he's not telling us. Now, the second half of the book, he's giving us dates, and and those prophecies, he's older, because those are the prophecies coming in the reigns of uh, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, and but even those are, <laughs> like, literally, if you flip ahead in the book, You know, like you'll get, you know, in this year of the reign of Zedekiah and then the next one will be in this year of the reign of (laughs) Jehoiakim. Like wait, (laughs) that came before, why is it coming after? So he's arranged it, um, or the book is arranged according to his purposes, not to chronology. Kind of like when, you know, uh, a movie like bounces back and forth in time, and you're like, is this happening now or was this happening 10 years ago? You know, kind of telling multiple stories interspersed with one another till they come to their ultimate denouement. Um, so, uh, Jeremiah is kind of like that. He's bouncing, the prophecies will bounce around a lot in time. Yeah, and the glimpse is actually uh, in, with the second one, like so. He prophesies, you know, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls around all all around, and against all the cities of Judah. So he's saying Jerusalem's going to get smacked down by all the nations. So he, but then he turns around and says. Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So absolutely, Elisha, it's this this message of comfort that, look, yes, you are going to go preach a hard message, and everybody's going to be with you. The king and the political authorities are going to be against you. The the religious authorities, the priests, are going to be against you. Um, he doesn't name prophets here, but we'll see these other prophets who are prophesying um, not a word from the Lord. They're saying, oh, you know, the, the exile will be short. Babylon's ro- rule will only last two years, and so... Like, you know, Jeremiah's lying. So he has to other prophets are against him. Even his own people, again, his own town. <laughs> Plot you know, it says plots against him. He gets thrown into a cistern. He gets thrown into prison. Um, you know, he he's threatened with like we see at one point in the book, they're having a debate on whether or not to execute him. Um, like, would it be better to execute him and prevent him from spreading the word? Or um, is it better to let them live? Um, because you like just in case he's God's prophet, you don't want to. <laughs> you, you know they're kind of hedging their bets, like what to do with them. But God tells them, like before all this, I am with you. Jerusalem's going to fall. I'm putting walls around you. Um, you know, you know the people are going to be destroyed but I am going to protect you in every circumstance. And we see that, you know, again, we're going to see Jeremiah struggle. Like, he's honest. Like, it's not easy to be the sole voice <laughs> uh, of truth and to have no one listen. And, and that's, so he, you know, he gets mad at God. Um, we can imagine him yelling at God <laughs> in those moments. But he knows deep down, because God's told him, I am with you. And we see God deliver him. Over and over and over and over again. Um, so, this prophetic calling, like, and again, God tells them, You weren't even born yet, and I've called you to this. I've sanctified you for this. I've made you for this. You're my perfect instrument to deliver my word. And, and so, you don't have to worry about it um, because I've made you for this task. I've equipped you for this task. Um, You'll think the task is too great for you, but you can do it because I'm doing it. You don't have to worry about carrying it out. I'll carry it out. Um, you You just have to speak the words that I give you to say. Yeah, sure, I can say a little bit. We'll, we'll, again, this will be a theme throughout the book. So um, Teresa's question is, it, she asked if she, I could say a little more about how the book of the law is going to impact um, Jeremiah's message. So this connection between Deuteronomy and Jeremiah. So um, as we get into, um, into the text, um, at the heart of the book of Deuteronomy, it's, yes, it's, it's laws, but it's laws given in the context of a relationship, a covenant. Um, the book of Deuteronomy is presented, as we studied in our Bible study Friday night, is presented as a covenant treaty document. The whole book of Deuteronomy follows it. It's God's sovereignly initiating a covenant with his people, and these are the terms of maintaining that relationship. A major message of the book of Jeremiah is, you have broken the covenant. God has been faithful to you, um, but you have not been faithful to God. You have brought, um, uh, you have pursued other gods. Um, You've brought shame and disgrace into this relationship. And therefore, just as the book of Deuteronomy brings, like the book of Deuteronomy again, um, is, is given right at the moment Israel is about to enter the land, and, and a major message of Deuteronomy: you know, if you want to live long in the land that I'm giving you, these are the laws. Um, you know, these this is what life in that land should look like. And if you don't do that, there are curses attached. And one of those curses is you will be driven out of the land that I'm giving you. And so you can see how that would drive the message of Jeremiah. You know, and he's going to describe like chapter two, when we get into chapter two next week, like Hosea, he describes um, Judah as being God's bride. But Judah's unfaithful. Like she's chased after other lovers. Um, and so, you know, she has broken faith. She's broken the covenant with her God. And therefore, when you break covenant with God, the, the curses of that covenant agreement Come into full effect. So that's why it's a message based in Deuteronomy presenting look, the law says, you shall have no other gods before me. What are these (laughs) things you've made and set up? You know, these gods who are no gods at all. um, You know, you've turned aside to them. Um, You're supposed to follow and trust the Lord God alone. And yet you're like, no, we need to trust Egypt. Um, sort of similar to Isaiah in that extent. You know, you, you want to trust in the horses and chariots of another nation rather than relying on your God. Um, so and that message of Deuteronomy um, of a God who loves his people, who set his love upon them, who has made pledges to them, um, and they are the ones who violated faith with their God. So I would say that's the major way like overall, we see Jeremiah using Deuteronomy. Yes, in like to like So in some Yeah. This is a town, it's also, so uh, Anathoth is actually a town um, when there's a rebellion um, against um, Solomon. Um, The high priest uh, supports the, the rival, and rather than executing the high priest, Solomon exiles him to Anathoth. So some people have wondered if Jeremiah is part of this kind of disgraced priestly family that's been exiled to Anathoth. Uh, Abiathar was the guy's name, um, but but yeah, a town that already has um, a, a bad reputation <laughs> uh, would be a good way to put it, um, and uh, that that might be feeling itself vulnerable. Um, all right, go, man. I gotta get used to teaching an hour long blocks again. Um, all right, we got 14 minutes. Um, I, I do wanna spend some time on his, his visions. So we, we've seen, um, talked a lot about Jeremiah himself. Um, we've talked about this, this beautiful call that God has given to him, um, what his charge is to do. Um, we also in chapter one get his first prophecies. So you know, if you could think, we get our introduction then we get the call of Jeremiah and God's interaction, kind of one-on-one interaction with Jeremiah. But then God then turns and starts, um, you know, all right, let, let's start training you <laughs> to, to be a prophet. Um, what do you see? Um, so what stands out to you about these first couple of visions um, that or first couple of prophecies that Jeremiah receives? Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh so a couple there. So let's start with the almond tree. Um but but before we start with the almond tree, um, just to reiterate what, what Scott just said. So there's a clear connection between vision and message. Um, so the, like the connection might not be clear to us because as Scott says, one, I wouldn't know an almond tree. <laughs> I saw an almond tree, I wouldn't necessarily think what the message that follows. Um, so So he's seeing something and notice, the word of the Lord came to him and he sees it, um, so at least in some instances, the word of God is kind of being presented to him in a visual form, so again, we, we get, it's great, Jeremiah gives us sometimes a sense of the process of prophesying and not just the message itself, like how do we, you know, like how do we know this? Well, I saw it. <laughs> um, why an almond tree? So. One thing, and if you look in, if you've got an ESV, it usually gives you a little footnote there. There's a word play that's at the heart of this. Um, the word for almond, or almond branch, and the word for watching, in in Hebrew, in, in unpointed Hebrew, they're exactly the same, same three consonants. Um, the, the almond tree, because I can't remember Hebrew, let me look at my notes. <laughs> um, so the almond tree is shaked, um, and the word for watching is shoked. Um, So Hebrew is, is written without vowels. Um, so, you, so you have to like, well, it was written without vowels. Um, if you're a native Hebrew speaker today, it's still written without vowels. <laughs> um, for people like me, the vowels have been like, there are these points that go in and let me know the difference between uh, an almond tree and watching. But it's a wordplay. Um, and it's a wordplay that, um, so Anathoth is that, was actually a place where almond trees were grown. So he's taking something that Jeremiah would have been used to. So something common. Um, and at least one commentator said, almond trees still grow there to this day. I don't know, never been there. Um, but I'll, I'll take his word for it. Um, so it was along associated with the almond tree. So it's starting with something very similar. And then there's this word play on watching. And then other people know the almond tree is usually the first one to, to, to kind of bloom uh, in the spring. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, he sees this blooming almond tree and it's, it's at the beginning, it's like the springtime. Like, see, I, I'm watching for the coming of my word to fruition. Like, you know, and just as like the almond tree is like watching for spring. Um, god is is watching for his word to come to pass um so it it's an image that again like uh, believe me i'm like like oh yeah an almond tree that makes perfect sense what what <laughs> no like <laughs> i had to go look it up <laughs> um, but it would have made perfect sense to him like being one being familiar with almond trees two being familiar with hebrew <laughs> so he would get the the word play that you know, we miss (laughs) because, uh, you know, almond tree and watching uh, sound completely different. Like if you used like pear and pear, like what do you see, a pear tree, because I'm gonna pear down this people, like we would get the word play there. Um, Sounds alike, but different words, different meanings. Same thing with almond tree. Yeah, that God made this dead branch bloom. <laughs> um, and like, you know, the sovereignty of God is super important um, in the book of, of Jeremiah. Like, I mean, it's super important in the Bible, <laughs> obviously. But it, to, in the message of Jeremiah, I need to b- walk backwards because I'm getting an echo. Um, in, in the book of Jeremiah, like this emphasis, and, and we've seen it already with Patricia, as Patricia noted, he's the God of all the nations. Um, he's the God who has set his protection around Jeremiah. And like with his very first um, vision, uh, you know, he's, he's being presented with something that's familiar to him, you know, because it blooms in his town. Um, but also, as, as I think you're absolutely right, Jerry, that, you know, it's associated with this story of where God made, you know, through his word, a dead thing blossom. Um, And so God can, you know, like, so from the beginning, God can accomplish what he says. Um, And there's a close connection between God's words and events. Like, you know, God says it, it's going to come to pass. Um, Like word and event are like two sides of the same penny. Um, You know, you don't get one without the other. (laughs) Um, And just as God has accomplished his word in the past, He's going to do it in Jeremiah's life and experience. Yeah, good. That's helpful. So one, three, three, uh, three uh, the right? Well, it's it's, it's for, so for this vision, it's God saying, "I'm going to watch to see that my word is performed." Oh, okay. With the next vision, we get the more explicit judgment. Um, So let's talk about that in our last five minutes. Let's talk about that in second. Yeah, and he, um, again, being of a priestly family is going to be familiar with that as well. So uh, this emphasis, he's taking something familiar to, to Jeremiah and using it to present God's, Word to him, um, so it's it's coming in a form packaged in ways that Jeremiah can readily understand and be comforted by, um, and and speak to the people. All right, what about the second one, a bowling pot? Yeah, so there we have this this image, and notice it's it's a bowling pot that's tilted. <laughs> uh, um, it's like a, a you know. The scalding is about to happen, um, you know, and it's like, like I, I can only imagine, like maybe it's even reached the tipping point, like you know it's coming over, <laughs> um, and you're about to have scalding water everywhere, and and it's it's God, uh, it, w- we might think, well, wait, ends at Babylon to the um, Babylon to the east. Well, again, Fertile Crescent, everybody goes to <laughs> swings or follows the the Euphrates and Tigris up into Turkey and then down the coast. Uh, <laughs> you don't cross a desert, that's stupid. <laughs> you go, so it's everything invades either from the north or the south. Um, so Egypt's either going this way or um, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Babylonians, whatever kingdom invades is usually sweeping down the coast from the north. So. Um So, judgment is pouring out from the north. Oh, I was thinking of the, um, when I'm cooking and I'm starting to boil the water, if I don't <laughs> keep my eye on it, it's got oil over, and so it's like, it's like a very boiling water. Yeah, and, and bowling, uh, a bowling pot that's about to spill. <laughs> so, like, imagine that. Like, you know, something falls, and it, like... <laughs> Like you, you can see it coming. Um, yeah, and the people are are powerless to to stop this coming judgment. Um, so as he says there, like you know, what do you see, I see a bowling pot facing away from the north. Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. Before behold, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. So notice the repetition there of the word all. <laughs> um, like it, it's, it's gonna be complete and total devastation. And like ants facing a giant pouring out um, cistern of boiling water, that's what the people, they're just gonna be swept away by this judgment. And then he turns and says, it's, it's judgment deserved. I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. So coming judgment, coming, you know, he knows exactly where it's coming from. Um, later on, we'll see he knows exactly who's bringing it, the Babylonians. Um, and it, it's going to be complete and total devastation That is deserved because of the people's rebellion against their God. Yeah, Jay. could avoid the destruction of the temple, like, and, and we'll see, they put a lot of presence or, or a lot of stock in the presence of the temple. Um, uh, Matthew actually quoted this um, in, the, in, in a sermon um, last week, you know, this kind of, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, they're like, no, destruction can't come to us, we've got the temple of the Lord, like, you know, we're safe, God's made promises about son of David being forever on the throne. We're safe. Like, so they're taking the promises, some of the promises of God or some of the, you know, like, outward signs of God's presence and they're trusting in those. But their hearts, as as Jeremiah says, are far from me. Um, like, so they, they say the words, yeah, we love the temple, but they fill the temple with all sorts of, other gods that aren't gods at all. Um, they say, oh yeah, we, we trust the Lord. Uh, at one point, so you'll see on your, uh, if you turn back to the the um, timeline, you, you'll see that um, Jerusalem's actually captured about 10 years before it's captured again. Um, and when they're besieged the first time, a lot of people Um, Real or like make promises. (laughs) Oh, if only we're saved, I'm going to free my slaves, who they were supposed to free anyway in the year of Jubilee, they weren't doing that. So they said, we'll honor our pledge, we'll free our slaves, free our servants. Um, And then the Babylonians leave, and they're like, eh, nah, second thought, (laughs) won't do it. So even when they have moments where they say, you know, say the right things, or, or want to do the right thing, their heart's not in it. That, you know, again, it's their, their hearts are far from God and, and that's what God wants, God wants changed hearts. And to kind of end on this and look ahead to, uh, there's gonna be a lot of destruction in the coming weeks, just to warn you, <laughs> um, but there is this, you know, this beautiful pledge later on in the book where Jeremiah talks about the new covenant um, where he's, God in that new covenant um, is going to write his law on the hearts of the people, um, so he 's going to do a change in their hearts because the external laws clearly um, are, are bringing d- judgment on them, so God is going to promising to do this new work so it 's the way that Jeremiah anticipates this eternal Jerusalem, the uh, you know eternal son of david on the throne um and so he's looking forward to that and that's why he can you know he weeps over the destruction of jerusalem but he knows like that temple that's not where my hope was Um, my hope is in the god who we're supposed to worship in that temple not the building itself Um, the building itself as we see uh, and as matthew talked about far greater than I can last week. Um, the temple itself, um, that's, not, that's not where the glory, the glory is not in the building. Um, the glory is in the one who inhabits the building, the glory of the Lord. Um, you know, the, the, the glory of, of God with us, God being present, the glory of Christ. All right, well, uh, thanks for a good discussion. Let me close our time in prayer. Uh, Gracious God, uh, we thank you uh, for Jeremiah and how you called him um, and called him to a life of faithful ministry. Lord God, you call us uh, to be your faithful people, uh, a kingdom of priests, um, a a people who um, hold uh, fast uh, to you, a people who um, hold up your lampstand of truth to the world around us. Uh, And Lord, like Jeremiah, we're in a world um, who um, so often doesn't wanna hear uh, your word, um, but uh, help us to be faithful um, presenters of it, that we would hold fast to it, that we would uh, do as you command us, that we would trust in you, um, and that we would uh, trust and fear you more than we would fear uh, those uh, who can harm the body alone, but uh, that we would trust in you who can protect both body and soul. Uh, so make us a people of, of faith. Um, make us a people who um, love your word um, and want to share it with others. Um, and even now, uh, be preparing our hearts to worship you in the coming hour um, and to receive your word uh, preached from your servant to us. And we ask all this in Christ's name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.